So today we continue uh, in this series on the parable, Jesus' greatest parable, uh, what we know really as the parable of the prodigal son. I, I said last week that we find ourselves in the parables. We always do. That's what's so amazing about them. And I've had a number of conversations this week with people who um, have found themselves in the parable and have asked questions. So I'm glad it's provoking some thought. It's an amazing uh, story with so much. So we will continue to unpack it for uh, the next, today and the next three weeks. So today we're going to read the parable, part of the parable again. Um, We'll start at Luke chapter 15, and we'll read verses 11 through 21. So listen to the word of God. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I wish they had given us the details on the wild living, don't you? (laughs) No, I don't. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went out and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. God, we pray that you would take this beautiful story and speak to us the word that we have to hear today. God, through the mystery and the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you would open our minds and our hearts to learn new things about who you are and about who we are and about the life that you have for us. So speak to us this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this parable, boy, you can go in all different kinds of rabbit, rabbit holes on this parable, can't you? But we try to keep uh, kind of the main themes in view instead of trying to go down so many different paths. And definitely one of the main themes of this parable is this idea of being lost and being found or uh, living at home which is such an evocative idea, right? 
Can you think of a more evocative word in the English language than home? And all that that word can, uh, all the emotions that can come with that word. So living at home or going off to the distant country. Here's what I would propose today. I think every day, every minute of our lives, almost, we make decisions that allow us to live in two very fundamentally different ways. Either being at home with the Father or going away to the distant country. We make that choice almost every day, almost every minute. Now, you may be wondering, Steve, I don't get it. Well, let me explain. What do I mean by this? I'm going to give you some examples. When I am living with the Father at home, I am in fellowship with God. I am in experiencing the presence of God in, in my life. I talk to God during the day. You know, I have a conversation with him. I invite him into my life, my relationships, my decisions. I look to God for guidance. I'm experiencing his presence. When I am at home with the Father, and this is so key, I belong to God. I know that I ultimately belong to God and that I am never alone. You know, there's an old catechism that is really great. Heidelberg Catechism. 52 questions and answers that were developed in the late 1500s in Germany in Heidelberg to describe the Christian life. The very first question I love it. I think of it often. What is your only comfort in death and in life? Answer, that I belong to God in body and soul, in life and death, that I am not my own. It's one of the fundamental promises of the gospel that we belong to God. When we are in the distant country, we forget that. That we are not our own, but we belong to God. When I am at home with the Father, I experience the peace which comes from knowing, and this really is true, the peace that comes from knowing that I am loved unconditionally. That the love of the Father does not depend on what I do or what I don't do, how successful I am or unsuccessful I am, what mistakes I have made, how I keep the rules, none of that. The love of the Father is unconditional. It's constant. And when I know that, I'm at peace. When I'm at home with the Father, I know my true identity. I know that my primary source of identity comes from knowing that I am a valued child of God. And because of this security, you know, I'm a little more mellow in life. (laughs) A little more chill. (laughs) The little irritants of life can kind of come and just kind of, you know, roll off my back a little more. I can take life 
in stride. When someone slights me or criticizes me, you know, I can roll with it a little bit better because I know I am valued no matter what. When I am at home with the Father, I'm less apt to look for others for approval or praise. When I'm at home with the Father, I am more apt to be content, to be grateful. When I'm at home with the Father, I'm not so easily discouraged when things don't go exactly as planned. These are the things that I think of when I think of living at home with the Father. I guess I could kind of summarize it by saying, you know, being at home is the abundant life that Jesus talked about, that he came to give us. It's this idea of shalom in the Old Testament, of well-being, of being at peace, where all the different parts of my life are, are integrated and I'm whole. Shalom. This is, these are some of the things that I feel and I think others feel when we are at home with the Father. It is the spiritual life. It is union with God. Now, we can choose to live that way or we can choose to go off to the distant country. Now, what characterizes the distant country? Well, it's kind of the opposite, really, of living at home with a father. When I'm in the distant country, I, I don't really think of God so much. I don't invite God into my daily life. If there's a conversation, it's the inner conversation I have with myself and not with God. In the far country, I'm more apt to feel sorry for myself, to want others to meet my needs. I seek others' approval and affirmation. I'm dependent on it. And because of that, I'm more easily offended or hurt by criticisms or slights. I look to other places, to other people, to justify my existence, to make me feel okay about my life. I am more controlling when I am in the distant country, more driven to succeed. Uh, I have an unhealthy ambition that drives me. I feel guilt sometimes in the distant country. Shame. Do not feel the freedom of forgiveness that God gives to us or the security of knowing that I am loved. Uh, The sense of freedom and joy about life, which comes with being in the Father, is absence. Now, in today's sermon, we focus on the younger son. Each week, we're going to take a different character. Today is the younger son, obviously, and I want to explore his decision to to leave home, to go off into the distant country. The story begins by... Uh, telling us that a man had two sons. One day, the younger of the two sons comes to the father and says, with a hardened look on his face, look, I've been thinking it over. Have any of you as parents had this talk given to you? uh, The life on the farm, you know, it's not cutting it for me. It's not what I envisioned, you know. Uh, In fact, I'm kind of sick of it. 
And I can't wait to get out of here. So I want my share of the inheritance right now. Now, if you read some commentaries on this, in particular one which was written by a missionary in the Middle East for years and years, he said, you know what? This would never, ever, ever happen. Even today in the Middle East. Basically what the younger son is saying is, I can't wait for you to die. Which is when I would get my inheritance. So I want it now. So he's basically saying to his father, totally disrespecting him, saying, you know, I'd kind of rather you die so I could get my inheritance, but I can't do that, so just give it to me. Now, this missionary, this author, said that in the Middle East, even today, if if, uh, someone said that to his father, the village would take them out to the edge of town and beat that son, perhaps kill him. That is how, how much he is violating the mores of the day. So he said, I want to get out of here so what? I can really start living. <laughs> right? And surprisingly, and let me tell you, this is a huge surprise. The father grants the son's request. Can I just say that Jesus uses so many details as a storyteller uh, to get his points across in this parable. And here's one of them. Wow. The father actually gives the son his inheritance. Son gathers all this together. (laughs) He trots off to a distant country. And there we are told he squanders his wealth on wild living. And to top it off, a famine hits that country, and he is broke and broken. And he finds himself slopping hogs, which is, again, a little detail. For a Jewish man to be around pork, it is a way of saying he is at the bottom of the barrel. He is at the end of his rope. And then he begins to think of home. And how even the servants of his father have it better than he does. And so he comes to himself, as some translations say, or our translation today. He comes to his senses, and he decides to go home. Now, here's where I want to stop, and I want to ask this question. Why would anyone make this decision that the younger son made to, uh, to leave home, this great home that he had, this great place. Why would anyone leave the love of the father in the security of home and go off into the distant country? You know, uh, as we read this story, it has to cross our minds, wow, this guy's really making some bad choices, <laughs> Right? He, here he has everything, and he, uh, he couldn't want anything more. It sounds ludicrous to leave home, to leave and go to this, this country, this uh, distant country, especially when we see how things ended up. Now, I've often asked myself, what if he had gone to the distant country and made a lot of money and was successful? You ever thought about that? 
Probably not, because you probably aren't spending hours thinking about this parable like I am. I think the result would be the same. He would be lost. And maybe even more lost, because maybe he wouldn't know he was lost. So, I want to ask that question, but I want to ask us, why do we leave home? Because we leave home, don't we? I mean, if, if being at home is being in, and I love Susie's painting, I, uh, maybe the most powerful, Don and I were talking about this, the most powerful part of her painting is just, and she did this intentionally, I'm sure, just the arms. Did you notice that? You, the painting's in the back, by the way. It's up here. It's all over the place, so just look at it. <laughs> oh, I just love the, the embrace, and the, the, the circle of the father holding his son. That's being at home. Have you ever seen a little boy or a little girl with a loving father that... What a... What a picture of peace. Serenity. Security. Why do we leave? Because we all have left, haven't we? Why do we do it? Well, let me throw out a couple ideas. One of the reasons we leave home and the father is what I call the myth of the greener grass. You know that. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. The myth of the greener grass is very powerful, especially at certain times of our lives. It's this myth that, man, life is better over there. That it's greener and it's better than anything we are experiencing in the present. You know, I, I just got to say, we don't talk about it much, but this is temptation, isn't it? This is the lure of temptation. When we look at our life and we think, just as the younger son thought, wow, life must be more exciting, more fulfilling. Whatever it might be, you can fill in the blanks. On the other side of the fence, where the grass looks so much greener, <laughs> I had a professor one time that said, you know, the grass, grass on both sides of the fence is brown. <laughs> that's another sermon. I'd have to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. But, you know, there are a few times in our lives when we really feel the pull of this, don't we? When we're young. Yeah, I remember as a teenager and a young man, definitely felt this. Powerful, the lure of this. I think another time, we feel it is in midlife. You know, I've studied enough about adult development to know that there's something to that midlife crisis thing. You know, around 50, and maybe it's changed a little bit now because we're living longer, but people start looking at around 50, somehow the light goes on, we think, oh my gosh, I'm pretty far down the runway. I only have so many lives, years left to live. And we look at our lives and we evaluate the, the basic structure of our life and we think, do we want to continue this way? 
Is life good? Or is, is, could I make some changes and make life better? Sometimes those changes are good. Sometimes it's a red convertible. And not really good choices. But it's real. And so that grass looks so lush and green. And it promises so much. The myth of the greener grass is that we are going to miss out on life somehow if we had stay at home with the Father. It tells us that God is, is somehow trying to rip us off from real life, really living, right? That he's going to withhold something from us. And see, this gets back to our image of God, right? <sighs> Which is so huge. In which Jesus is really, uh, I think that's what this parable is primarily about, is who is God? And so we think, God, maybe you don't have the best for us. But here's the thing about the myth of the greener grass. It's a myth. And it never delivers on the promises. (laughs) And we go to the other side of the fence, and we figure out, wow, it is brown over here. It's not as good as I thought. It never tells us about slopping the pigs and being out of money and experiencing the pain of confusion and loneliness. It never mentions the the relational destruction or the fears of our secret being discovered or the regret or the guilt and shame. It doesn't tell you any of those things. It just says, man, this grass is green. (laughs) And it's good. The myth of the greener grass Powerful. Don't underestimate it. There's another reason we choose to leave the Father, I think, sometimes, and it goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's simply the desire to do it our own way. And you know what this is? This is really at the root of what the Bible calls sin. So often we think sin is what? We think it's just breaking these individual rules that God has set up. Why? We don't know. You know, all the rules are there for our good. But that's not really, that is sin, but really it, this parable goes beyond that. It goes deeper. It says, you know, you know what sin really is? It's living independent of God. It's, it's like Frank Sinatra used to sing, you know, I'll do it my way. And we decide what's good and how we should live life. And we want to live life as we please doing whatever we want to do, and we want to control and run our life because basically we think we can do a better job. And that's really the basis of of sin. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And and God says, you know, Adam and Eve, all these trees, you got all this beauty, this paradise, all this fruit coming from the trees, but don't eat the fruit from that one tree. (laughs) I love this story. So what do they do? They eat the fruit from the one tree. Because Satan tells them, the tempter says them, oh, and what does he tempt them with? God's trying to with. Why does God tell you not to eat from that tree? He's withholding something from you. He doesn't want the best for you. What does he do? The tempter distorts our image of who God is, this loving God that wants to give us all good things. Right? This is it. So, we take control of our own life. 
Another reason is often because of pain or a tragedy or some great disappointment in our lives, uh, we no longer trust that God is good. And we decide to go it alone. And I, I think I may have talked about this before, but I have a friend who had a vibrant faith, just a really great relationship with God, just enjoying the presence and the love of God in her life. And then her mother died, whom, with whom she was very close, very suddenly when she was 20 years old, and she just couldn't trust God anymore. And she walked away. She went to the distant country. She didn't go wild living and all this. She just ignored God, right? And for 20 years, she was out there on her own. And then she began to feel the need for God in her life once again. And at first, it was really scary for her to trust. And I remember when she came to our church and when she came to Bible studies I was was teaching, she would cry every time. Because it felt like coming home. And she was home. You know, I know in my own life, have you done this? Life, and here's an important piece of this, is often when we see our relationship with God as a quid pro quo arrangement, when we think, you know, if I live a really good life and I, I keep my nose clean like the elder son, nothing will go wrong. Because we see this as kind of a, you know, a deal with God. I'll do my part, you do your part. And then when something goes wrong, we feel like we've been betrayed. You know, God never says life won't be hard. And this is how it was with me. I got mad at God. Like, God, how did you let all these things happen to me? I left and, you know, I found out life in the distant country is not so great. (laughs) Finally, I think we live home when we look for love in the wrong places. I love how Henry Nouwen, in his book, you know, The Return of the Prodigal, which many of you are reading, this is how he defines being lost. And I think it's, it's very, very good. He defines being lost as being deaf to the voice of love. Being lost is, is being deaf to the voice of love. It's denying the spiritual reality that we belong to God. All these things that I said before, that we are loved by God. God. And so home is defined as that place where we hear the voice of God saying to us, you are my beloved. Upon you my, my favor rests. It is God saying, I love you. It is God again encircling us with his arms and us resting in that place. And when we leave home, we seek love in the wrong places. And you know, we seek for love and approval. And it's basically we're looking for love through accomplishments, through, through our salary, through busyness, through um, other relationships. All these things, we, we seek to find love, which really comes from God. Ultimately, all those other loves are, are good at times. But at its core, we need to know that our primary source of love is the love of the Father. That is being at home. And so we're lost when we 
go looking for love in all these different places. And here's what's interesting, is God never demands that we stay at home. You know, perhaps the, oh, there's many surprises in this parable, but maybe one is he lets the sun go. <laughs> Complete freedom. And see, this love of God, this, this voice of love, it's not a boisterous, loud, demanding voice. It's that still, small voice that, that Elijah hears, right? So we get lost when we look for love in all these different ways. Today we have the opportunity to participate in communion, which is really a way of God saying, come home. Every month, you know, we have this great opportunity to look at our lives. I mean, I hope we do it more than once a month. But definitely here, we have this opportunity to think about, am I at home? Am I looking for love in the right places? Am I in fellowship with God, in union with God? And every month, God says, come, come.